Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. James, I don't like what the Warriors are doing. They look they look like a good basketball team right now. Yeah, they're not. James, are you safe? <laughs> all be all right. James, are, can you James. James, are you safe? I just you got a no, brick yeah, wall I mean, behind you like are you in Monty's doghouse for your uh throwback to uh, <laughs> uh maintain and improve? They they put me in a small room. A yeah. small small room with uh no padded walls. <laughs> It's just all concrete walls. So you want to make sure that if I'm I'm locked in here, that I I don't have anything soft and squishy to hit my head against. That I just like <laughs> no, hit my head against another James, wall. James is where and, Trey Lowes does the post game uh, interview. That's, that's facts. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. Like just let our friends at the Sacramento Kings know that brick walls and concrete walls are just about the worst thing for audio. <laughs> But no, it's 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 fine. We got Hammer here. We got his earbuds. He's at the Monty McNair press conference. We we suspect that he might have pissed Monty McNair off. Oh here today. man, Monty was not happy. <laughs> yeah, good. Hey, good good callback. Think... Good callback, James. No, it was good, James. Yeah, a little smartass over there. It's a good callback. <laughs> what gonna you... put that on a shirt? That's no, what I'm gonna do. Yeah, that was that was that that was funny. We all kind of looked at each other and laughed when Monty said that. Um. We were all kind of surprised that Monty McNair had a press conference today. Uh, now that you had the opportunity to talk to him, um, what what did you what did you think of all that? Yeah, I mean, like, like what's he supposed to say? I, I thought he did a really good job today of um, sort of laying it all out, right, and, and explaining his case. And to be honest, I thought, like, as a media group too, I thought we asked good questions that we had to ask for for the good people of Sacramento who are, you know, wondering why this happened or this didn't happen and all that. I mean, you can't get into the specifics of why did you not go get Kuzma or something like that. Um, but overall, you know, I thought he answered really well when um, I hit him with the question about them being the 22nd highest payroll in the league. And, you know, it, a lot of it is circumstantial, but also like – when you really look at it, where are they supposed to go? Like if they're going to make a commitment to say a Pascal Siakam, like you're all in on one roster. And if it doesn't work out, you don't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, like I've always talked about Kyle Kuzma's contract more than even Kyle Kuzma, the player. Like the good thing about a deal like that is that it's declining and you can get rid of it. You get into a bad situation. Um, Even Jeremy Grant's contract wasn't good. It, you know, it goes up to like $36 million when he's 33, 34 years old. And those are tough things to move off of. And so like, you have to be nimble. You got to be able to like retain your assets and, you know, you get sometimes waiting until the summer when you got some money and you got, well, not a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of uh, draft picks mm-hmm. and you have a bunch of expiring contracts. Maybe that's a better t- to go and make a move, but uh, he definitely, I, I thought he did a good job of fielding questions, of being human, because a lot of times he isn't, he's very robotic. And I thought he, he was actually laid back and, you know, like, Hey, well, go ahead and throw your questions at me. I'm good. Like, we're totally fine. 
I thought uh, I thought that was a good point that you brought up um, when you asked him the question about uh, specifically the draft picks. If you wait till the summer, you've got like six picks that you could choose from at that point. I think he said six or seven or something like that, as opposed to trying to do something now. He said six, yeah. It's, as opposed to trying to do something now where where you are pretty limited and pretty uh, hamstrung because of this pick that's out there with Atlanta. And I thought that was a good point. I mean, would you have liked to have done something at the deadline? Sure, but your hands were kind of tied behind your back. And this summer, you'll have a, a little bit more flexibility to to go out there and use those picks to get something that you really, really want as opposed to let me just get something right now because it looks good or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's even more complex than that too, Kenny, because – um, if you do, let's say that the Kings went out and they, they, they offered up, a, you know, a 2026, a 2028 and a 2030 pick. Well, the problem that you have with those picks is because of the 2024, if somehow you don't make the playoffs, then it comes everything up moving forward. So that 2025, uh, like, well, the 2024 pick you still have in your pocket, but now you can't trade the 2026, so you have to bump everything back that you you did in the trade. You got me? So you would you would have a 2025 pick, but then you can't trade your 2026 pick, so then the next pick you can do is 2027. So really it becomes really convoluted and confusing about when your picks are going to convey if they don't that first year. Like in a perfect world, this isn't a great draft. The Kings give up their 2024 pick, and they just move on, mm-hmm. right? And next thing you know, they've got their 25 through 31, and they can start making some moves using those selections instead. Um, But if you don't make the playoffs, if you make a move and it doesn't work out, and you could really set yourself back in like a spiral with all of these picks because of the protections and what that means going forward. And so, like, I get it. If if there was a deal out there that made, that was just a no-brainer, and the Kings are like, oh, yeah, let's do this, that's one thing. But, you know, I even have people... Like, oh, look, the Dallas got Daniel Gafford for Rashawn Holmes. It's like, no, they got Daniel Gafford for Rashawn Holmes and a future first-round pick. Hmm. Like, they, they gave away, uh, Dallas did, in that in that transaction. And if the pick is a 2024 first-round pick, like, it's an immediate pick. The Kings don't have that pick. They couldn't have done something like that. And they also don't have an expiring contract like Rashawn Holmes. And so, like, all of these things are – like again, it, trades take two partners, but also two partners that are in the same, uh, like on the same page about where each of them are going. And the Kings have a very distinct idea of where they're heading. And every partner that you trade with in the NBA has their own idea of where they're going as a group. And sometimes you're, you're, um, what you have and where you're going and what you want to give up and what they want to give up, it, it just doesn't match up. And that's okay. And you you hold on to your assets and you live to fight another day. After hearing from him, are you a little more comfortable with what the Kings didn't do over the course of the last, say, 24 hours, but really over the course of the last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, sure, I get it. But I would still say that like you needed to be aggressive and look for at least some sort of deal that might make sense to you. You know, I think we all looked at like Kessler Edwards playing 
in a couple of different ways. You know, first of all, when he goes to the G League, we're like, okay, we get it. They want to stretch his legs and get him ready to play with the big club, right? And then when he does get some time, you're like, okay, I get it too. But maybe what they're doing is they're prepping their team for a player that plays like Kessler Edwards, but isn't Kessler Edwards. And then that's not the case. You don't go out and get that player. So now it is Kessler Edwards and you got to figure out if that works or not. Um, yeah. I still like in a perfect world, I would have, if I were running the team, I would have tried my best to go out and try to fill a couple of the holes on the roster um, but again, I understand that sometimes, you know, you just, the deal isn't there that makes sense for you. And, and I understand that as well. Why do you think, um, we, we had this press conference today? <laughs> I mean, was it just a transparency moment from the team, which I appreciate and I don't have any problem for problem with, but, uh, just, uh, didn't expect or ask for money McNair to speak today. Yeah. I actually think it's league mandated. After like, the trade oh, deadline or is, something? Yeah, this is a post trade deadline conversation. Okay, okay. And, um, you know, I, like most of the time, the Kings have made a deal at the, at the trade deadline, even if it's a small one. And, and again, they did in this one. I, I don't, not a single person in the room asked about Robin Lopez. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, I thought uh, the conversation surrounding Keon Ellis was really good. Like that, you know, and if you're trying to build a program, which the Kings are doing, you know, going out and getting a guy like he, uh, going out and rewarding a guy like Keon Ellis, who was undrafted um, and he signed as a free agent and has not only worked his way into a two-way contract, but worked himself into a real contract with the team. Like that matters. It does because other uh, G League free agent types, they're going to look at your system and, and what you're doing to promote players. And I think the Kings have done a nice job of that over the last couple of years. Um, you know, again, I, I think uh, both Damian Jones and, um, and Shemezi Metu were elevated from two-way contracts, I think, or maybe Damian Jones was on a 10-day contract and, and earned a, a full regular everyday contract track from the Kings. But the Kings have been one of the, the franchises that really do, like sort of promote the from within and and show that like look if you want to come play for us and be part of our program even at the G League level there's always an opportunity and that matters when you're uh, you're going into a draft or you're going into the free agent market after a draft uh, with regards to like younger players and you can say hey look we'll offer you a two way but this is a path that Keon Ellis took and look now he's got a three year contract and so I, I think it's good it's good to reward a player like that. Uh, well, speaking of rewarding a player, you mentioned Damon Jones. How about Mason Jones? Um, this transaction happened after the press conference, uh, so I'm sure the media will get together shortly and celebrate what a big deadline move this has been for the Sacramento Kings. But you talk about – I'm kidding, obviously. All kidding aside, you talk yeah. about elevating players. That's what it looks like we're looking at with Mason Jones here going from a G League contract to a two-way contract. Yeah, I mean, the Kings have also done this in the past, right? You remember Luke King. Um, he signed late in the season. And then uh, when they, ele- I think it's when they elevated Chemezi Metu, they brought Luke King in and, and gave him a two- the, the two-way for the rest of the season. And that's, it's actually a, a, another way to strengthen just what you're building at the G League level and having it translate. 
Um, the Kings don't have a lot of guys at the G League level that were eligible for something like this. You know, G League rules are uh, two-way rules are very strict. Um, you can only be a G League player within your first three years of the league. And then after that, the only way is, you know, you can get the, the Harry Giles exception, basically, which is if you redshirted one of your first three years in the league, you can get um, a G League contract in your fourth year. So, you know, guys like Jalen Noel or, you know, Stanley Johnson or Scalabissier, they've all played too many years in the league to get a two-way contract. And so that's that's why you reward a guy like this uh, who can, you know, I don't know if he'll even, you know, step in and ever play. Uh, but he just got a pay bump from like eighty or $90,000 a year to $550,000 a year or a prorated version of that. And that's a big deal. Again, you're you are investing. You are putting money into the product that you have, uh, you know, here in Sacramento and at Stockton. And then on top of that. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people said, oh, you know, the the way that they they made the trade to go get um, Lopez, you know, that just put money in Vivek Rondive's pocket. Well, Vivek just turned around and he used that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that money, they, they just took that money and they gave Keon Ellis a contract. Then they just gave Jones a contract. And that money is likely that probably took all of the money that they got from from the transaction with the Bucks. And that's okay to to have a team like at least you're managing your money right at the back end of the of the trade deadline, um, so you're not just leaving stuff out there that you know. Again, if if there was a, an actual deal that could help the team, do that deal. If not, it's okay for them to make a minor deal where they get a million bucks or two million bucks, whatever it was, uh, from the bucks, and uh, and then turn that into productive pieces, um, you know, that are helping to grow your system. Yeah, I, I like the Mason Jones move simply because to me, it feels like, you know, another example of them at least trying to make the G League work for them at the NBA level. You know what I mean? Like investing in it, um, trying to find guys that can be molded down there at Stockton, be get comfortable to the style of play or the system that the franchise has, and then just bring them up hopefully seamlessly. I don't know if Mason Jones is ever going to play, but it just it shows to me that there is some type of investment into that G League product, and I like that. Yeah, I, I do too because, again, the, the, the whole entire program needs to be strong, and I think that they've made, again, like this season, there are way too many guys that are 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 playing for the G League team. Um, you know, going for it at the G League level is just kind of a weird way to attack it. Um, but hiding inside of that is that Colby Jones has gone down and played, uh, you know, reasonable minutes down there and, and meaningful minutes down there. Uh, Jalen Slauson and uh, Jordan um, Jordan Ford have been down in, in Stockton all year along with that group. And they're playing major minutes and they're they're sitting there trying to grow these players. And that's where you're heading if you're the Kings. I mean, look at, uh, like, if you would have made the Siakam deal, right? What you have to understand is that if you make that Siakam deal and there comes a point where you have three fifty million million players and another guy making 30 or 35 and King and Murray, like, you don't have any more money. So you have to create these players and you got to create them somewhere. And the best way to do that is to have a system where you're developing 3 and D players or you're developing 
you know, uh, undersized power forwards and centers that can, you know, impact the game, which is what we saw from the Houston Rockets when Monty was there uh, with guys like Tariq Black and Montrez Harrell and, you know, Daniel House and all these guys like developing at the G League level. So I, I think it's a good thing. Um, and, and I think investing in the G League is a good thing, uh, but also keeping a laser focus on what the G League should be for. You brought up Keegan Murray there a couple of minutes ago. We didn't have the opportunity to talk after the uh, debacle against the Detroit Pistons, and obviously Keegan's game was a uh, just a, a, a glaring uh, part of, of the box score, and I think that's where, I'll speak for me, I put a lot of blame on Mike Brown for the way he handled Keegan Murray in that fourth quarter, and by handled I meant like not doing anything, just letting him sit there on the bench while Jaden Ivey was torching them. Is Keegan one of those guys where, like, if, and, and this was the example I used, Hammer, was like, if De'Aaron is, you know, if De'Aaron is, if De'Aaron's two for 15 headed into the fourth quarter, in, in, in it's close game, he's going to play 12 minutes in the fourth quarter or 10 minutes in the fourth quarter or whatever his thing is. He's going to get that opportunity. The same, you know, barring, you know, five fouls uh, is true for DeMontis Sabonis. Should Keegan Murray be afforded that same opportunity? Like, hey, you've been struck. You've got a quarter here to go fix this. Uh, if you pick up your fouls, you pick up your fouls. But we need somebody to shut this kid down. Yeah, I mean, they are like right there, right? He he should be a player that you're you're considering for that. But if he this game specifically, like the Kings were struggling, and and the guys that kind of pulled you out of that struggle. I, you know, whether it was Trey Lyles hitting a bunch of threes or it was Kevin Herter getting a little bit hot here and there, um, you know, Malik Monk started playing extremely well. And I think the problem you had with Keegan is every time he stepped on the court, he just was a little over anxious and kept fouling everybody. I mean, there was even the one foul where, um, you know, he jumped on somebody's back in, in the key. They just, you know, he, he got caught on the head and shoulder pick and just was all over the place for his fourth foul. He just looked like he was a little bit out of sorts, a little anxious, trying too hard. And sometimes you do have to sit a player who, who's going through it a little bit. I'd also say, like, look at Keegan Murray's last, I think it's six games. It's like five points, five points, 33 points, five points, 10 points, and then zero. zero. Yeah. Like, he hasn't, he hasn't kind of figured out how this little downturn that he's having, how to get through it. And maybe he does tonight. Maybe he does, you know, on Sunday. But he's uh, he's definitely middle of sort of like a, a little bit of a tailspin. And I think you want to be supportive, and you also want to put a young player in positions to succeed. And if he's not having a good night and he's not succeeding, um, sometimes sitting him on the bench and having him watch is the right move. I, I agree that he's your best perimeter defender, and you probably could have used him against Ivy, uh, but just the way that things were going in that game, I'm not sure that he would have had the impact that he wanted anyways. So as a coach, you're, you're caught in between like how to bring a young guy along and, and, and instill confidence, but without putting him in a position where you're, he's going to lose even more confidence. And, you know, again, I, I think Mike has handled him pretty well throughout the first year and a half that he's been in Sacramento. And, and I would kind of, Air on the side of whatever Mike Brown thinks in that situation because he has proven to sort of be able to push the right buttons with Keegan time and time again. Man, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about, and it, it, I don't know, some of them were young, some of them were old, but the Kings be having more 
people that got to figure things out <laughs> than than anything all all the time. And, and no, HB's, you know, he's just finding his footing in this league. He'll figure it out. <laughs> but I got to let him play through the bumps. I'm like, man, come on now. Like, no, I, we, we're not the home of the Knicks or the home of the, the Mavs or anything. So maybe B-Lo and J.C. saying the same thing in those Good cities. Show. But, man, I don't feel like anybody else has, like, a bunch of people trying to figure things out. Yeah, it almost feels like, um, you know, the the horror films where you're not supposed to watch that movie and then, you know, all of a sudden the, the creature comes out of your TV or whatever. It almost feels like there might be a like an iPad that they keep passing around that has Space Jam on it. And then every someone will fall asleep watching Space Jam and it just like takes the, the basketball player out of them and right into the into the iPad. And that they would make how to more sense than for a week. That would make more sense than them continuously having to figure things out. <laughs> like, how have we not figured this yeah, out yet? Yeah. Like, how have we not figured this out? Yeah, it's tough. You know, like, we always talk about, you know, there's only one ball. There's only a certain amount of shots per game. And and I would tell this team, it's something that Monty brought up at the press conference. He thinks the biggest issue that the Kings have offensively from last season is their pace, Right. And I yeah. agree with them. Like they don't play with pace, but the problem is they don't play with pace consistently. So some games they do play with pace and then they're so good that no one can stay with them. And then all of a sudden they're not playing with pace again. And you're like, what is happening? And I guess Mike Brown probably should go back to the the point where he's screaming and yelling at his team the entire time to run. Hmm. Uh, but you also think that eventually they would be mature enough to do that themselves. Um, anyway, I, I, I just think that there are so many things that are going wrong with this team overall. But if you're a group of players and you're all looking around at each other and you're like, man, if only there was a way for us to get more shots per game, we could figure this. And then everyone would get 12 shots per game. Well, there is a way you push the tempo. So you have more possessions. So you get more shots. Mm-hmm. It, it's pretty simple. Like go faster, speed the game up get more transactions, uh, more uh, more possessions in a game. And next thing you know, everybody's got more shots. So there is a way for this team to figure things out for themselves. But um, I still think there's a lot of coaching that has to go on. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing because the, a lot of these guys have been around for a while and they shouldn't need, you know, Mike Brown out there cracking a whip, trying to get them to run up and down the court, uh, especially not 50 games into a season where, all season long, it's been an issue where you're just not moving fast enough uh, and not playing with the same intensity and speed and pace that you did last year. And it's just so obvious. Like everyone, like you watch the Kings play and you're like, well, this doesn't feel like the same team from last year. And it's because they're not playing like the same team from last year. Uh, James, um, Keon Ellis signed a NBA contract with the Sacramento Kings today. Uh-huh. Do you think that influences what Mike does uh, over this stretch of basketball games? Do you, do, do you think we, we've seen a lot of Davion Mitchell? My argument remains the same. I think Davion has played really, really well since Mike's put him back in the lineup. Unfortunately for him, I thought he played really, really well against Detroit. But it's clear there's something about Keon, and, and it's clear you could, you could see it when Keon plays. Yeah, there's, 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 there's what did you say? It's a good movie. <laughs> There's something about Keon. <laughs> Thank you. Very similar to There's Something About Mary. It is. I got it. The no, same genre. 
Just thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> A little rom com there with Keon Ellis. Um, Put it on a shirt. Put it on a shirt. I promise you. I, I promise you, Brett Fabre isn't part of this one. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Um, go to Alabama. Oh no, he's in Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the hell was I going to ask? <laughs> you said Keon. Oh, some about Keon yeah. and Davion. Do Do you think we see more Keon Ellis? I think that's where I was going. I got to be honest. I hope so, and that's not to like he doesn't have to take minutes from 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 Davion. He's got to take minutes from somebody, uh, and I don't know how that all works out in the end. But uh, this is the like of all the teams I've ever covered in Sacramento, and there's been a lot of bad defensive teams. I've never seen a team give up 39.7 percent from three, at least not that I remember. Where every game and, and since. January one, it's they're they're allowing teams to shoot like forty three percent from three. You know, you look at what Detroit did the other night, where they shot like almost fifty five percent from three. That doesn't make any sense. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about Keon Ellis like Mike Brown did like a month ago, and say like, look, I'm not saying he's Bruce Brown, but he uh, Bruce Bowen, Bruce Bowen, but he does some of the things that Bruce Bowen does, right? He gets through screens. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to go over the top of a screen to still close out on a three-point shooter. He can go under a screen and close out on a three-point shooter. Like you can't talk about that. And then you look at the stats, and he's holding his opponent to like eleven percent below average from the three-point line. Mm. And you, as a team, can't defend a three-point line when you got a guy who's like a bona fide three-point line threat. You know who who's who does great work out there. Like there has to be, again, I like, I, I keep saying this. One of the problems the Kings have is that you don't just need to find defenders. You need defenders that can actually play minutes, right? It's, it's one thing to have a guy like Keon Ellis that can defend, but if he's not playing or if he's not playing more than 13 minutes, how much impact can he have? There also comes a point in the season where you go, okay, like a lot of things aren't working here. We need to try things that, could possibly work to get us back on the right path, especially on the defensive end. James Ham live from the boiler room uh, at the Golden <laughs> boiler One Center. Room, bro. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll talk more with James Ham here on Dylan McCasey on Sacramento Sports Leader ESPN thirteen twenty. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. I don't know why this video of Matt George sacking Kevin John makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Kevin's just trying to do his job, and Matt George comes along and takes him out. That's just good takes stuff. my man out. That's good stuff. Good for those guys out there at the Super Bowl, man. James, what do you think? You got a prediction? You like predictions and scores? What do you got for this weekend? Um, what I said on the Insiders earlier, I, I said – 23-17 Niners. Mm. And I think that, like, to me, that should freak everybody out because that means that Mahomes at some point in the fourth quarter might have the ball down six with a chance to go beat you. But mm. um, I, I kind of feel like it's not going to be a huge game, a huge scoring game. Um, 
I don't know. Like these are two really good teams. I like uh, I like the matchup for San Francisco, um, especially defensively. I, I think that you know the way that Mahomes has had to work this season is with uh, nothing but like short, like underneath passes to like Rashi Rice and and Chelsea. and his wide receivers are unreliable. That it is really hard to like stretch defense or go to a center. And where I think that really comes in is number one that. 49ers linebackers love to hit people and, and they also like, they love to get in or so, uh, Kelsey and, and Rice are going to have to be looking over their shoulder, but so the wide receivers outside of those two for Kansas city, they're not very good. They don't get a lot of respect. And so I don't think that they can get a lot of separation from the Niners defensive backs, but think that they're not going to get a lot of calls, which is seen throughout the season. And if they're not going to get calls, then Patrick Mahomes has to hope that a guy who's totally untrained catches a ball uh, to space out the, the field. I think the Niners are going to be able to lock up a lot of the box. Uh, they're going to be able to limit the game of, of Kansas City, and they're going to be able to limit the pass game because if it's all within you know, eight yards, ten yards of, of uh, the line of scrimmage, that's that's a mean looking front line for the for the 49ers. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like okay. it all. all right. I like it all. Look, man. I I think me and Laura from NFL Live are the only ones that think the Niners are going to score points like that. I thought 31 am. I got them at 31. I th- 31 24 that's 49ers. Yeah, I I'm I'm I was I was leaning towards your original thought hammer thinking this might be a a, a lower scoring game. Um oh, I'll be watching. I'll be watching. Hopefully. That's what a lot of Chiefs games this season have been. Mm-hmm. They've been really, you know, low scoring and tight games around that number. You know? And and, like and it, there's not a lot of offense. I think what everyone really wants to know is what do you think Usher's first song is gonna be? <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know. No, he said yeah. No, uh, the, the, no it, James. <laughs> You nailed it. I think you're right. I think his first song is, in yeah? fact, going to be Yeah. I, th- I think you're right, James. It's not, it's not Yo. No, it's me. Yeah. You were right. I think you got it, James. I think the, the Super Bowl performance starts with uh, uh, uh. I think that's how it starts. Very well done, James. That was good. I wasn't expecting you to have an answer, and look at that. He had an answer. And I told you, like, Usher and Jamie Foxx were in the locker room uh, when the Cavs won the, the championship the one year. Yep. In at Golden State, and that that was interesting to be in the locker room with Usher and Jamie Foxx. Not sure why Jamie was there, but it's not fine. sure either. Uh, it wasn't in the locker room, but Jack Abbott from Young and the Restless was in attendance for that uh, game as well. I think he's from Cleveland. <laughs> was I don't know that, his real name, um, but his name his name on the show is Jack Abbott. What game was the Undertaker there? What? But you don't remember that? No. When the Undertaker was in full like Undertaker gear, maybe that maybe it wasn't a finals game. Maybe it was like the home <laughs> opener. But it was really weird seeing the Undertaker in, in like in Cleveland. It it was definitely with the it Cavs. Was the Cavs. It was playing. definitely with the Cleveland Cavs. It might have been the year after they beat the Warriors because remember LeBron wore that T-shirt. Mm, the, oh, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It might have been that, but it was so weird seeing the Undertaker in like full character. And guys coming up, like, wanting to shake his hand and say hi to him. Super, <laughs> super bizarre. Uh, James, uh, your yeah, favorite. I'm watching it right now. It's, yeah, I don't I don't know if it was a specific game, but he was definitely at Cleveland. Yeah. 
James, your favorite Undertaker match. Never, never mind, James. Let's get back to the Kings here. <laughs> Hell, James, James hates us. I know. We, I know who he is. I know yeah. who he is. Okay. Undertaker. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I don't have any of his matches in my catalog. No. Oh, that's fine. We'll get you there. We'll 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 get you set up with a WWE Network subscription. Um. All right, the Kings and uh, the Denver Nuggets, James. This is. This is the you know the stretch of basketball that that you know Kings fans were kind of worried about before and after the Detroit game. It was amplified a little bit with that loss, but this is a stretch of basketball where you got Denver, you got Oklahoma City, you got Phoenix, then you got Denver again. All teams that Sacramento has beat this year, and you got Dallas who made some moves. Whether they got better or not, that remains to be seen. But they made some moves before the deadline. You got Golden State playing better. You got New Orleans stringing together a couple of wins. You got Phoenix playing really well. The Kings are going to have to find a way here to do what they did last year. They're going to have to beat some good teams to get where they want to go. Yeah, I totally agree. They're going to have to be really good after the All-Star break, too. And I, I think that that's one thing I would keep pointing to. Everyone's like, oh, they're the same position they were last year, right? Well, last year, after the deadline, they were incredible. Like they just kept winning and winning and winning, not until the end when they, they let off the gas in the last week of the season up until that point, they were either the best or one of the best second half teams in the league. There's no guarantee that that's who this team is going to be this year. And that's something that I think, you know, again, we have to keep a a mindful eye on like this team was crushing it. And you start off here with this four-game stretch or five-game stretch or whatever. It looks like it's an eight-game stretch of, like, really difficult stuff. Um, like, you can't let off – you can't let go of the rope right here. Mm. Like, I – you know, maybe if, even if you, you survive going 500, that would get you through. And then you can build on that. There is, like, a, a swath of games in March that just look really, really enticing in a way that you could – get, you know, some distance for yourself, but you got to get to that point. And like, this is a tough one. You've, you've got to buckle down. You can't have any more letdowns. You can't, you can't have players coming out looking like they're disinterested or, or not fully engaged and not listening and not following the game plan and not doing the basics that Mike Brown keeps preaching. I mean, at this point, I know how to close out on a three point shot for the Sacramento Kings because Mike has taught me over the last two times I've seen him. And if the players don't get it at this point, then I hate to tell you, then get off the court. Mm. Go find somebody else. Like, go give a Keon Ellis. Go give a Colby Jones. Go give a Kessler Edwards an opportunity because if these guys don't want to listen and they don't want to do the basics, this team does have the firepower to run with anybody. Um, So, like, scoring is not an issue. Get some guys out there that want to play defense that are committed to playing defense and then we'll do the basics that you're asking them to do. And, and if, uh, you know, that that's what you have to do each and every game. If, if guys aren't engaged and guys don't look like they're ready, don't wait around. Just watch their free throw shooting early on. They, they aren't ready. Then, okay. I don't care who you are. Go sit for 10 minutes, go sit for 15 minutes. Maybe we'll get back to you. Maybe we won't, you know, give them the Malik monk treatment from uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we we talked about with like how to defend a three and getting wide open looks and all this other stuff is I feel like it starts with keeping your guy in front of you. A lot of times they Malik talked about the other night about the rotations and getting the rotations. Some of that is because these guys keep getting beat like a drum off the bounce, you know, 
if you keep your guy in front of you, that'll limit the rotations and you'll be in better position to guard that three-point shot. But if you let guys blow by you or, you know, or, or we said this a number of different times, be on the perimeter dribbling the basketball and not feel you in any type of way, then it's going to be easy pickings. I just think they've got to get more physical at the point of attack and do a better job of keeping guys in front of them. And I think that'll have a trickle-down effect to the way they're – or how effective they'll be able to guard the three-point line. Yeah, Kenny, I think two ways, like, they're getting lost, like what you're talking about there. Um, it's not just the point of attack. It's that once somebody gets by somebody, how the rotations happen, and then you get into a scramble and some guy gets left wide open mm-hmm. and you're not getting the second and the third effort. Mm-hmm. I'd point out the other thing the other way that you could really cut down on some of the wide open threes is having everybody help out Demonis Sabonis and not just leave him there to get every single rebound because that's where they're getting a lot of threes as well. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're sending two and three guys to keep Domas off the glass. Somebody's getting the ball. They're spraying it out for a wide open three. And again, catching you in scramble mode. And that's, that's something that we saw in the playoffs against the Kings, but we're also seeing it in, in certain games this year where they're just a step slow to help out on the rebound side. Mm-hmm. And that it's got to be a, a commitment from, from everybody. You know, the guards need to rebound the, the uh, certainly the forwards need to rebound, you know, even last game, I think they had eight, the game before that uh, Keegan and Harrison Barnes combined for one rebound. Mm-hmm. Like that, that just can't happen because that's where you're giving up those second chance points on, on the spray three and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of little things that this team is doing wrong, but they can be cleaned up. And, you know, it's not for lack of coaching. You know, I, I, I thought Mike's uh, post game the other night was pretty strong where he's very honest about like, look, because I, I, I think I'd asked him if it was something schematic, right? Like if there's some tweak you can make, he goes, well, I can't really make a tweak until the guys actually do what I'm, they test the theory that we're already trying to put out there. Like, you have to do it what we're asking. You have to play the game the way we're asking you to, because as of right now, I don't know that what I'm doing is going it's going to fail because they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. And oh, that sounds oh man. Uh-oh. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's gotta be one of Luke Walden's most famous quotes right there. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's no, terrible. That's I where mean, we are. We're we're we got Luke Walton quotes circulating Mike Brown press conferences. Damn. Damn. Hey, look, I, I think I, I see what he's talking about. I mean, he's telling us how they're supposed to close out and how they're supposed to be, you know, physically up on somebody's hip and and so they can't, you know, in the hand right next to them. And he even talked about De'Aaron like pulling up like two feet away from somebody but not getting into their body. And then next thing you know, they're able to rise up right over them and shoot the three. And it's like, that's not what we're coaching. It's not what we're telling you to do. We have a very specific like method of defending the three. And if you're not doing it, what am I, you know, I can't sit here and just keep changing up things because the players aren't listening. And to me, that's one of those things where, you know, you got to figure that out pretty quickly or you got to try different players. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 the same thing that they went through last year, and this just goes back to what I'm talking. We talked about earlier about figuring things out. Like, what, 
Come on, man. You guys have been together a year and a half at this point. You know, Mike Brown really, they really should be at a point where it's just some scheme stuff. Like, as far as, like, how you're supposed to play the game the way he wants you to on the defensive end, that should already be ingrained. This should be something that they're executing. So, I can understand Mike Brown's frustration and everybody else's frustration that we're still going through this, like, learning phase of what he wants them to do on the defensive end and then being able to execute it. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's starting tonight, you know. Hopefully Detroit was the wake-up call. I don't know. I'm That seems very pessimistic by me or optimistic by me, excuse me. But maybe Detroit was the wake-up call. Yeah, I mean, but we how many wake-up calls does the team need? You know, like one the, last one. They're hitting the snooze button over and over <laughs> and over again. Hopefully one yeah, last one. But you know, eventually you just sleep through the snooze button. And I, I mean, again, like this team, the, the worst part is what are they like six and two? Like they're uh, over their last eight. They're, they're really not that bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's just we're, we're super hyper-focused because they lost such a bad game. Or maybe they're five and three over the last eight. But, um, but you know, we're – we're on them. We're like feeling this way about them because of the way that they lost to, um, you know, what some some person did ask if, if this is the best six win team in the league. Um, <laughs> clearly, they're now the best seven win team in the league, and they're probably going to be. Well, then they became the best eight win team in the league. Um, but yeah, just. It, you can't lose to teams like that at home. I don't care about seven games or anything else. Yeah, this, well, no, I mean, seven-game road trip. Happen. Well, Detroit wasn't getting the respect they deserve. Clearly. Um, Clearly was the reason. <laughs> you uh, you they mentioned... Did, hey, wait, wait, wait. They did waive three of the players that beat you Yeah. the next day. Yep. Hey, and great job against Sacramento last night. You're fired. Or probably, what the hell were you doing last night? Get out of here. <laughs> what's I wrong mean, with you they, they fired they they waved the guy who started against you yeah that was embarrassing yeah. that that's, was this is a perfectly fine word for it mm. um you brought up commitment and i feel like how how are we 50 games into this thing still questioning this team's commitment be it to defense how are we 50 games into this thing and an entire season questioning this team's commitment to anything? Uh, I, I think the next logical question is, if you are questioning them 50 games into the season, why are you walking into the final 30-something games roster? Hmm. You know, uh, like, I, I'm with you. Um, like, this is not the same team from last year. And we're waiting for that moment where they look like the same team and they just become the same team again, but they're not, they're not resilient. They're not, they, they don't, it doesn't feel the same way. The vibe is not the same. And that doesn't mean the vibe is bad or this is a horrible team. It just, it's not, you know, I think expectations have caught up with this team a little bit. And, and I also think that being viewed not as mediums like you were last year, but now as something different that caught up to you a little bit. And that's kind of a problem, you know? Yeah. Well, they better figure it out quick. I still think that quick. this team. Quick, quick. Quick, quick. I still think that this team is capable. I think they're capable. I think they have enough talent mm-hmm. on the roster. Um, the, the best players that they have are capable. 
of them consistently playing good basketball and consistently winning games. I I feel that way about them. But I understand anybody that thinks that's pie in the sky. I mean, you, you can absolutely make the argument they've shown you through 50 games that that's not who they are. And why would they just flip the switch right now? But I, st- I still think they're capable of it, and, and it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, all things are possible. Like, I, I I agree. It's it's very possible we could pass the deadline. And, like, whether they want to admit it or not, there were clearly a couple of guys here who had it in the back of their mind, whether they were going to be here in the second half of the season or not. Now it's over. You're here. This is a group. You guys have shown over the last 18 months that you love each other and that you're you're all friends. Uh, now friends need to be honest with friends. You guys got to hold each other accountable. You got to put your foot on the gas and show that you're a good team that can not only make it to the playoffs, which is at this point, again, it's in question. You're the seven, seven spot in the Western Conference, which isn't a playoff team. I mean, even Monty McNair said that today. Like the seven spot is, is a play-in team. It's not a playoff team. You got to earn your way to the playoffs from that point, and that's scary as well. So, like, this is that moment, though, where this is who you're moving forward with. And this is your group of dudes and figure out whatever it is you need to put to the side and get out there and play ball. And uh, like, you hope that that's where they're at mentally. But I also hope that everyone in that room feels like they can hold, you know, from the 15th guy to the number one guy, everyone has to be able to hold everyone accountable. It's not all about, you know, the ninth, 10th, 12th man on this roster. That's a problem in some of these games. It's, Sometimes it's one, two, three, four, five, and you need to hold everybody accountable at this point. Hammer, these two teams match up pretty well against each other. This is obviously the defending champion. They're universally considered, and rightfully so, one of the best teams in the league. What What is it about them, though, that Sacramento uh, does so well? What is it about this matchup that, that, that Sacramento is so good with? Yeah, I mean, I think th- to a certain extent, they're a little bit of mirror images of each other, right? They've got a lot of the same, um, like, you know, look and feel. I think they're like two years ahead of the Kings as far as like where they are in development, where they are in team, where they are in culture and, and all that stuff because they've been together for such a long time, like the core group of them, of them have. And uh, they also have some of the length and athleticism that the Kings need. Uh, but there are certain positions here that I think the Kings are just better. You know, I, I honestly believe that De'Aaron Fox is a better player than Jamal Murray. And, uh, you know, I think that Keegan Murray is developing into a really, really good player. And I don't think he's Aaron Gordon or, or Michael Porter Jr. I think he's a mixture of both of them. And that's a good thing for the Kings. I think the Kings still need that other guy like that. They they need the Contavious Caldwell Pope type players that uh, – that you see for, for Denver, um, sort of those unselfish, gritty two-way players that don't mind stepping up and, and defending a De'Aaron Fox for, for 20 minutes a night. Um, but you still can see the pathway that the Kings are on, and it's sort of the breadcrumbs that the, the Denver Nuggets have been leaving for the last couple of years where you build around a, just a, an incredible, incredible big man. And they both have incredible big men. Uh, Jokic is a better scorer. Sabonis is a better rebounder. Uh, Jokic is a better passer and better defender. Um, But Sabonis is probably a better shooter from the outside. 
I definitely think that there are uh, a lot of ways that you can compare these teams, but it starts with how they run everything through the hub that is their big men. And um, these are two of the best in the league without any question. And they're, it's always a blast to watch them uh, play against each other. It would soften the blow from the other night if they were able to get this win, just yeah. a little bit. It'd, it'd be a little frustrating because then you could look at it like you could have won both of these games. Yeah, right. But if they can win this one, well, it would yeah. soften the blow a little bit. That's the De'Aaron thing. It's one loss on the schedule. It's one loss in the loss column until it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse, what's next? We got a game next? Run it back. Oh, all right. We was ending so early. I thought we, I thought, we got the, yeah, I thought we, we was headed to Pac-12 or something. Right? We got <laughs> we got purple and black today. The purple and black. Six o'clock. That's right. Yeah, six, six o'clock. o'clock. Yeah. Jesse's hanging by a string. I don't know what's going on in there, but our our boy is like mankind at the end like, of the Royal got him Rumble. Like Jordan. Yeah, we're good. We're like good. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think you're lying. Bingo. You just, bingo. Yeah. He's <laughs> looked me right in the eye and lied to me. Uh, we're going to let James get out of the boiler room of the. Somehow I made it okay. through the show. Okay. It's time now, damn it. It's time. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, just a quick, just a quick note. We have another show. So try to, try to ramp it down just a smidge. We've got They're one. They're getting more. that same energy over there. Oh God. Well, we're headed to 1025. We'll run it back. Purple and black show on the way. Go 49ers. Vamos 49ers. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.